Are you feeling stuck in life or in business? Maybe you're not making the money that you know you should be making. Or are you finding yourself in opposing patterns? One minute you're in high performance mode, and the next you feel totally drained and burnt out. If any of that sounds familiar, then this podcast is for you. I'm Brenda Johnson, and this is the Limitless Life Podcast, the place where I help entrepreneurs like you become high performers. After changing my own relationship to money and success so I could turn my passion into profit, I decided it was time to help others do the same. I am obsessed with the power of the subconscious mind and helping you tap into it so you can finally have the limitless life that you're supposed to have. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? I just wanted to hop on here for a quick second before we get into the actual episode and let you know that this episode was actually recorded back in December of 2018. So if you hear us making references to December or coming into 2019, that is why this is probably one of my favorite episodes. Uh, There's so much information in it. And hopefully you guys grab a pen because you're going to want it. Welcome to the Limitless Life Podcast, or welcome back if you've been listening. I'm so freaking excited to introduce you guys to my guest today. He has been in the health and fitness industry since 1998, and in 2017, he won the International Trainer of the Year. On top of that, he's a father, an entrepreneur, a business consultant, international public speaker, published writer, and health and fitness educator. After dealing with things like being homeless twice, Being the victim of fraud, which almost cost him his business, he proves that life isn't always sunshine and rainbows, but if you're committed to stop playing the victim, you can create the life and business you've always wanted. He's currently a co-owner of PT Profits with his partner, Sarah, and they help fitness and health professionals grow their businesses to become high performers, and I should know. My guest today is Joe Arco, and he's one of my amazing coaches, a friend, and somebody who has literally helped me cut the crap and change the course of my life over this past year. So welcome, Joe. I'm so excited. Wow. If I ever have my own TV show, you're going to be like the person who introduces me. (laughs) Fair. We can make that deal. I'm so excited to have you here, like just for so many reasons, obviously. The main one being that you've helped me change my life this past year, which is kind of a big deal. A little bit. But first off, like, how are you? Because I know you have an insane schedule, so I really appreciate you taking the time to chill and talk to me about some stuff and hopefully give people a little bit of a kick in the ass that they don't necessarily know they need. If you're looking for a kick in the ass, then we definitely have a good podcast. Line. <laughs> that's my specialty. I know. That's why I wanted you here. Yeah. I'm so excited about that. I'm excited to be doing this. And congratulations for launching this. And for, I mean, before we talk about me, I think we should really acknowledge like where you were this time last year and did you honestly think that December of 2018 you'd be leaving your corporate job working on you know on your own business doing a podcast and and kicking ass uh when you and I first talked I would say no (laughs) (laughs) but after I yeah I could visualize it but there's always pieces of me you always have that doubt right you're like oh my god can I make this happen can I do this so yeah it's this past year is just flown by like it's been crazy. I can't even believe it's the end of the year, actually, if I'm being completely honest. It's a little nuts. Well, that's a good segue, actually, because let's talk for a moment. Because you and I met in January of 2017. And I have January always... January this year, 2018. Oh, it was 2018. Oh, my gosh. It was. Get your yeah, facts straight. See, the year went too too fast. <laughs> so, so 11 months. Yeah, 11 months. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. And I've always thought of myself as kind of like a no bullshit type of person but you you are legit a no bullshit kind of person so can you tell us like have you always been like that can you go back to when joe was a little kid like what were you like growing up um if you ask my teachers and you ask my parents and you ask my (laughs) friends um i don't know if i was just blessed or cursed with with the no bullshit mentality, or or just that that genetic disposition. Um, I mean, if if I were to actually like think back and ask why, I, I would definitely say it's my grandparents. Um, you know, my grandparents were were immigrants from from Slovenia. Um, you know, my my grandfather worked at a mine his entire life. My grandmother worked at a bakery, or you know, did odd jobs and took care of five boys. And you know, when you're an immigrant family taking care of five kids, like you don't have time for bullshit, <laughs> you know? And, and some of the things that, you know, it, it still amazes me some of the stuff that we 
complain about now. Like I, I grew up watching, you know, seeing my grandfather just be grateful for having a job. So for 40 years, he was responsible for, uh, he, 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 he basically managed the elevator shaft in the mine. So he, for eight hours a day, he'd gone to an elevator and, got, and brought guys up and down all day long. And, you know, imagine this day and age, people going, you know what, it's just not my passion to bring people up and down on an elevator. And I was meant for like so much more. Meanwhile, they're a bunch of dumbasses anyways. And he, I never saw him complain. I never once saw him like bitch about having to go to work or come home and complain about work. All he did was talk about the great people he met. He learned different languages. Cause at that time, like, you know, you gotta consider 60s, 70s, um, everyone was an immigrant. So he learned Russian, he learned, you know, Italian, he learned all these different languages and like, he just loved what he did. He's like, I get to do this so that I can take care of my kids and not live in, you know, uh, a country that, that didn't have a lot to, to offer them. And I've got a great opportunity. And so to me, it really engraved in my head, like a lot of, you know, just honest hard work, you know, and, and not necessarily always doing what you love to do, but doing what you have to do in order to have a life you want to have. You know, they had a cottage. They spent the weekends at the cottage with the kids. They did so much with all their boys. Uh, and, you know, growing up, it was, it was me and my dad for quite a, a bit of a, my early life. And, and, you know, every summer I spent with my grandparents, every March break, every Christmas holiday, like any opportunity where my dad couldn't take care of me, I was with my grandparents. So, you know, I, I was kind of considered like the sixth child. <laughs> uh, my dad was like 19 when I was born. I got two uncles that are almost the same age gap as me and my sister. So like I kind of grew up with my uncles being my brothers and my grandparents being my parents. Um, so when you kind of grow up, you know, for most of your life around that European hard school, hard knocks mentality, some of it wears off on you. You know, some of it has to wear off on you and you kind of grow up thinking that's the norm. Um, earlier this year, I went to go podcast my grandmother. <laughs> Didn't work out so well. It was awful. Like I set it all up and she's just like, I've never met more of a closed book woman in my life, but I, I did finally get out of her because I really don't know her story. And, you know, when she was young, she, her, 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 her dad had to come to Canada to get some work and was sending money back home. So she was raised basically just by her grandmother and by her mom. She had some siblings as well. And she's telling me the story of like, yeah, you know, where I live, there was a line and there's a barbed wire. You just don't cross that line because you might get shot. So we just stayed on this side of the line. I'm like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> What's going on right now? And she's like, yeah, so when I was old enough, I think she was like 17 or something like that. She's like, yep, it was time for me to get a job. So I got, uh, you know, got on a boat, came over to Canada, and I, uh, you know, took a train from wherever, Montreal, to where they live in, in northern Quebec. And she's like, I remember, I don't know, I didn't even remember what my father looked like because she was that young when he left. And I remember being at the, the, the train station, and this man came up to me, and I just knew that, that was my, it was my dad. He saw me, and he basically said to me, like, you're here now, so go, go get a job. And then two days later, he left and went back home. I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on right now? And she, and, and like, so nonchalant. She's like, yeah, I got here and you know, you gotta get a job. So I got a job and I've been working ever since. I was like, that's the most horrible story I've ever heard in my life. Like, what are you so cold? Oh my God. And it, it really put in perspective, like what people had to do. You know, like, like people now have no concept <laughs> of what it means to work or provide or do the crap you have to do to get ahead. And so like I saw that such firsthand that I, I think that's where I got most of my work ethic from or my just like, like stop complaining. You have no right to complain mm -hmm. or bitch or be a victim. No one shot your family. There's no war going on in your backyard. Pick up your fucking pants and do something. Uh. So true. So true. And it explains a lot about why you are the way you are and why your work ethic is so like hardcore. And also, I think you have hold a really... On. Hold on. So why is my work ethic hardcore as opposed to being the norm? That's, That's also a good question. Because <laughs> Every conversation, I, I, I mean, I, I did a podcast yesterday. It was the same thing. They're like, you know, you, you get so much done and you do this and you, you're, you're always doing something. I'm like, no, I just work. Like, I don't consider myself hardcore at all. I think like Elon Musk is hardcore. I think Bill <laughs> Gates is hardcore. I think people like The Rock or like people who are working on three different movies and doing TV appearances or like, do you know John Cena from the WWE? Of course. So did you know that he has the most Make-A-Wish foundations? He's done the most out of any human being. 
he is on the road probably about 300 days a year, plus he has to train, plus maintain a relationship, plus do movies. And on top of all that, he has the time to make more wishes come true than any other celebrity or human being. And I'm like, and you think I'm busy? <laughs> that's hardcore. And I bet for him, that's just the norm. He's like, you know what? I owe it to all these people and, and I can give back. So I question why so many people think that real hard work now is hardcore. Why isn't that the norm and everyone else is just lazy? Do you feel like too that a lot of people nowadays are just entitled? Like they just think they deserve success? We can probably do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> um, I blame, I, I don't know who to blame. Uh, oh, wow. I don't. I'm hope, I hope I get some. I, I want some hate mail after this conversation. But um, you know, I, I blame the everyone's a winner mentality. Give every kid a, wib, a ribbon just because he, you know, little Johnny came in last place in soccer. But we don't want to hurt his feelings, so we're going to give him a ribbon anyways. No, little Johnny's going to grow up to be a loser. Mm. That's the reality. Because in order to become a winner, you have to learn how to lose and get better. <laughs> That's oh, the reality of life. So um, true. And I think, you know, this goes back to, you know, I played very competitive, like almost like to competitive hockey, you know, age, like grade four, suit, tie. Um, like when I was in grade four, what age are you in grade four? Like eight? Something, I, let's something just say like that. <laughs> uh, eight or nine years old. We played 115 games of hockey in one year. Like, that's not including practices. 115. So that's basically, you know, literally twice a week playing games, two or three practices a week. It was my life. That's we won 110 games, lost one, and tied four. That's hardcore when you're like eight years old. And I still remember we won a game against one of the worst teams in the league. I'll never forget this was Don Mill Flyers. We won like 5-3. You should celebrate, right? Like you won the game. But because that team was so bad and we played so horribly, our coach made us skate for an hour at our next practice. Because he knew the level we played at was so poor that it wasn't about winning, but the fact that we did not play it to our standards. Mm. Poor me. I was a goalie who didn't even play that game. I was on the bench the whole time. I'm like, why am I skating? Why? Because you're part of the team. So you suck it up and you skate your ass off. And the next game, we're like, okay, you know what? Let's not do that again. <laughs> like, you can guarantee like we played so hard after that because we were so afraid that if we didn't play to our standards, that that would happen again. And, you know, some parents thought it was like a little extreme and looking back, maybe it was. But at the same time, like, I appreciate that because, you know, if you're not being held to a higher standard by someone, then what's forcing you to become better? What's forcing you to actually meet your standard? Mm. And I mean, you've known me long enough now. Like, I'm probably like my own worst critic. I'm the hardest on myself than anyone else. And I tell people, like, if not me, then who? Because you know what? There's not a lot of people that, that call me out on my bullshit. <laughs> So if I'm not going to be the hardest person that I can be, then what's going to make me succeed and become better and better every single year? And if I look back over the 20 years in this industry, I've grown every single year. I've had setbacks. I've had failures. I've had you know losses. But I will be damned if I can say I did the same thing this year as I did last year. Like to me, like to me, if I'm not progressing, I'm actually regressing and I'm getting worse because what's the point of doing the same thing, making the same amount, impacting just the same amount of people? To me, that's not worth it. Now, again, like that's, I'm not saying that everyone should be like that, but that's how I want to run my life. I love that. It's also interesting, too, because me coming from the corporate world, I used to joke that like everybody got a ribbon because you have to be very careful about whose feelings you hurt. And it's, it's just, oh, yeah, I can't. I, that's why I had to get out of there, too, because it was literally sucking the soul out of me, like literally. What it reminds me, so a good friend of mine, Mike, used to own a landscaping business. I mean, landscaping is not an easy job. You know, like, like you're, 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 you're like everything from like redoing uh, driveways to stonework, all that kind of stuff. And like he had a whole bunch of employees. Like he knew what it was like to run a business for a long period of time. And I remember when he sold that business, he's like, I'm just done. I'm done being an entrepreneur. Like just the headaches and the stress and like the weather and people calling in sick. Like I just want to get out. So he, he was able to sell the company. And he started working at a quarry. I don't know if you know what a quarry is, like Fred mm -hmm. Flintstone, The Rocks. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he, he, he told me this story, like the first week or two he was there, he still had the entrepreneurial mindset. So his job was to kind of go, he had a truck with tools, he had to go around and fixing some stuff and, you know, uh, making sure the belts and all the machinery was working properly. And he had a partner that he worked with. And he, I remember him telling me, like, the first week, 
He gets a radio going, hey, you know what? This machine needs some fixing. So he packs all the tools in the truck and he's about to go. And the guy beside him is like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, no, no, we'll drive over first, see what the problem is. Then we'll come back and get all the tools. Then we'll go back and, and start fixing everything. Mike's like, why? <laughs> the guy's like, because we have eight hours and there's nothing else to do. And like, he was basically getting scolded by, he's like, dude, if you start being more productive now, then we all have to be more productive. And it was such an eye opener for him to be like, wow, like the corporate world really runs at the lowest common denominator. It really does. Because if you really want to excel, then people are like, yo. And it kind of goes back to like the whole crabs in a bucket analogy. If you're that one crab that wants to climb and get out, all the rest of the crabs are like, no, no, no. Because now you're going to make me look bad. So why don't you come back down to my level? And I think that's what's so unfortunate about a lot of people is that they're playing at such low standards. And if they actually hung around with higher people or their standards were higher or their own, like the standards they put on themselves were higher, they would see a massive shift in their life. Mm, that's true. Why do you think that people choose to stay stuck though? Mm, define stuck. Not living a life that makes them inspired every day not living a life like the people who literally roll out of bed running late every day they bitch and complain on the way to work they hate everything they're doing like why would somebody choose to stay like that i got like five different opinions <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a choice maybe it's not maybe it's learned maybe it's a subconscious belief maybe because it's easier mm. um you know i, I was at a i like storytelling so i'm gonna tell a story <laughs> I, was at, I was at my son's hockey tournament this weekend and this is, this is a really good example of kind of like average population and maybe like people who try a little harder. So I'm not really around, don't take this the wrong way, I'm not really around normal people, like normal society. Like I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by like high level entrepreneurs all the time and like we coach entrepreneurs, we have coaches and that's my norm. So that's my bubble. Like I live in a little bubble and I like my little bubble and I don't leave my, my little bubble very often. And this weekend we were in London for a hockey tournament for my son. And it was like the first time I was around like 15, 20 adults that work nine to five and have a normal job and do normal things. And we went to Tony Romans for dinner and the kids, so we had like a little, little room in the back and all the kids had like their own long table and there was kids menus on all the, uh, at all the seats. And the adults were sitting uh, across from them. And my son does not eat from the kids menu. Like he's 12 years old, he's a big kid. And I don't like giving him crap food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got there first and I see him sit down. He's looking at the menu. He's looking at me. And I'm like, no, like here, take, take the regular adult menu, order what you want. And, you know, we have one rule when it comes to food. I don't care what it costs. Like I really don't. And there's certain things I'm like, Hey, that's ridiculous. Like you need a $400 pair of shoes. That's, that's dumb. <laughs> but when it comes to food, like I've never limited my kids to say like, you know what, that's too expensive. You shouldn't eat that. I encourage them to like, not care about that kind of stuff and splurge if you want to eat really well. So he wanted to get double, double lobster tails. So I was like, nice. oh, shit, like, go ahead. Like, he loves seafood. And he looked at me, he's like, yo, can I get this down? I'm like, yeah, no problem. So the orders come in, you know, and every kid basically has like hamburgers and fries or hot dogs and fries or, you know, just like chicken fingers and fries and stuff like that. And the waitress is coming in with these double, double lobster tails and tails, mashed potatoes and green beans. And the parents are like, well, like, like, who got that? <laughs> and it, it gets dropped down to coal, and like, every head just like turned to me, and they're like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And I'm like, I'm looking at them like, I don't understand what the issue is here. They're like, "You let him like order that?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." And I'm like looking around the table, like these are hockey kids, they're athletes. Your kids eating hamburgers and fries, and he's having chicken fingers and fries. My kids having potatoes and green beans and lobster tail, and I'm the crazy one. And about an hour of conversation, listening to these people, all they did was complain about their job. All they cared, like all they talked about was how, like how hard it was for them to take a day off that day. Cause it was a Friday and take their kid to London and you know how everything's so expensive. And I'm like, we live different lives. Like I haven't worked in about two weeks. I just got back from Jamaica. I was on a yacht on Tuesday. <laughs> like you and I don't have a lot in common right now. And it's not a financial thing. It's just a mindset thing. Like, if my kid wants to eat $33 of lobster, I don't, I don't see you complaining because I just watched you order four drinks at eight bucks each. And by my math, that's $32 you've spent enjoying your alcohol, but you're going to tell your kid that he's not worth that money in food. 
Well, that's huge too, that mindset thing, because like we develop our core beliefs when we're young, right? So if these kids are watching their parents say things like, oh, that's too expensive. Oh, we can't afford that. Oh, whatever. That's not worth it. You're literally telling your kid that they're not worth it. And that's what they grow up with. But see, like I grew up the same way. Like I literally grew up, me and my dad living in a shitty ass apartment with poor credit. Like, you know, my, my mindset around money was... My dad got paid every second Friday. We took that check, went to the bank, stood in line because there was no ATMs back then. And like I, I saw him deposit the check and he took out X amount of dollars and that's all you had for the week. Mm-hmm. So then on Saturday, we would go to the grocery store. We went to three different grocery stores depending on what was on sale and get the groceries for the week. And that was it. There was no like, hey, dad, let's go out for dinner tonight. Or like, hey, let's go do this. Like there was times where you know, I remember playing hockey and on Saturdays after the game, going out with the team and, and going to like Lone Star, things like that. And I, and I remember being that kid. My dad's like, don't you dare order that because this like this side of the menu is all you can order from anything under like nine ninety nine. That's yours. And that's it. And so growing up, knowing how poorly that affected me, I don't want to teach my kids the same thing. Mm. We don't use the word like anyone listening to this, please, out of anything you get. This is probably the most important thing I'm going to say today. Nothing is too expensive. You just don't have enough money for it. Mm-hmm. And you have to that. look like, at it as an investment. It's like, it's, it's, it's not, oh, it drives me insane. <laughs> but I mean, like, honestly, I, I don't even look at it as always as an investment because honestly, like the, the certain things that I spend money on, it's not an investment. I just, I, just, I can't, right? Like True. if I want to spend $50 on, on, on food, that's not an investment. I can easily spend less money and get as nutritious food. <laughs> I just do it because I can and if there's anything, like for example, like you know, like the the house that I uh, that I'm going to get <laughs> yeah. in the next two years, anyone in my family that we've told that to tell, like they tell us that we're nuts or that it's too much or that it's too expensive that you'll never be able to afford it. I don't look at that house. That house is seven million dollars, and I don't look at that house as being too expensive. I just say I don't have the money for it yet, because if I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't think that house was too expensive. So it's all relative. Yeah, it's like it's like saying anything is big or small. Well, compared to what? Right. Like I might say, like people might say to me, like, like you know what, Joe, like you're really tall, or you're really big. Well, yeah, maybe compared to the average person. But if I went to go hang out with guys in the NBA, I'm short. Right. So everything's very relative. And as soon as you start putting a uh, a, a tag on something like, oh, it's too expensive, then it's very challenging, especially with kids. Mm-hmm. To teach them that, you know, they're going to grow up thinking everything is just too expensive. And, you know, with my kids, they live in two different households, you know, because, like, you know, I'm separated. So they spend half the time with their mom, half the time with me. At their mom's house, you know, her boyfriend's a teacher, set salary. She works for the government, set salary. And that's all they hear. It's too expensive. It's too expensive. She comes from a very old school Portuguese family as well, where everything's about money and saving and stuff like that. They're not entrepreneurs. And, and the reality is I can't blame someone if you have a set salary, you can't change that. Mm-hmm. So if you only make 80000 a year, you can't spend one hundred and twenty. Whereas with what I do and what Sarah does, I can make whatever the hell I want. So if I want to make more money, I sit down and I get my ass to work. I'm like, hey, if I just do A, B, and C, I can make whatever I want. So the, the options become a lot more limitless compared to people that are limited. And I think mm-hmm. that's why a lot of people feel stuck, going back to that question, is that they're really stuck because they're living a life of limit, right? So they, 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 you know, if they want to make more money, they have to work overtime. If they want to make more money, they have to spend less. If they want to do renovations or like you, you've been in a situation where like I make X amount of dollars, crap, my transmission just blew. I yeah. wasn't to spend $3,000. Now what do I do? I'm in panic mode and now we, we have to, you know, go into my savings or go into credit card debt or whatever else. And then for a long time, I got to pay that off. So everything's too expensive because now I got to pay this stuff off. That That's just a life of limit that, I mean, people choose the jobs they want to do and people assume the risk they want to risk. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people probably feel stuck because they are stuck. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to you because I, it was last week. I went to do one thing with my Jeep and something else was wrong. I literally text message you. I'm like, you know, old Brenda would have freaked the fuck out over this. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, whatever. Is it still on the hoist? Just do it. (laughs) Like it feels having more 
money gives you more freedom to do the things that you need to do. So can I ask a question? Like your kids yeah. are going back and forth between the different kind of mindsets in the households. How does that affect them? Kids are like, so have you seen studies on, on, on people with split, split personality? Mm-hmm. And like literally like, like you can have one personality that has diabetes and one that doesn't, that blows my mind. Yeah, it's I've, seen studies, I've seen studies that show people with split personalities changing eye color. Like, do you know, like, the, you know how mind-blowing that is? That's how, that's how adaptable we are and how powerful our mind is. And why this is important is because my kids are two different kids. Mm. So their environment, I really do believe when it comes to, like, nature, nurture, like, nature has a big part of that. Like, I mean, there, there's certain traits that I just can tell, like, my daughter gets from me or my son gets from his mother and stuff like that. But environment is such a huge, huge role because I've seen such a shift like the moment I drop them off and their foot goes in the door, I'm like, who are you right now? If, I, I, I don't understand how quickly you can switch. And then when they come to my house, they're very different as well. Um, I've had my son be way more, you know, be one way at Belinda's house and a different way with me. And even my daughter, like, like just such different roles because what they get away with, the communication, like just the the energy and, and, and how they're fed, not not – through their mouth, but just like mentally <laughs> and through, well, that too. Um, it's just, it's just, everything's different. And they just know that there's a certain, you know, a certain type of uh, rules. And when you think back, like the way we were with our parents and then you go to grandma and grandpa's house and you're like, Ooh, I get to be a certain way. It's the same thing, you know? And they just get used to, it becomes subconscious. They're like, yeah, I can do this at dad's, do this at mom's. And I just shift back and forth, back and forth. And as a parent, you know, my only goal is that by the time they're old enough to form their belief system, like I'm hoping that they take the best from her and the best from me, because there are, you know, best in both worlds, mm -hmm. that they can hopefully take the best of both and, and become good people. I have a feeling they're going to be really amazing <laughs> people. <laughs> this is so like, there's, you're just throwing out so many truth bombs and so many good tidbits for people here. I want to ask you a question. It's going to kind of go backwards a little bit. But like growing up and going through all of this stuff, you went through being homeless twice. You dealt with fraud, which almost like literally cost you your business. Most people would curl up in a ball just going through like a fraction of the stuff you've been through. So why why were you able to keep going? Like what was your why that made you keep going? Um, like when I was three, the only memory that I have of my mom is watching her leave. That's it. I was three years old. She left. Um, to 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 this date, my dad and I never spoke of it. My grandparents never talked about it. It, was, it. I mean, hence my communication issues for a long time. Um, like just certain things was just never talked about, and you just deal with them. And and looking back and knowing my grandmother's story now, she, like, I can I can picture her now in her head going, "Oh, boohoo, she left. You have <laughs> me. You have him. You have all your uncles." I came here by myself and got a job at 17. Suck it up, kid. Like I can I, now I can sense like why they were that way. And it's not that I grew up in a in a in a horrible home. It just it wasn't the norm. Um, so I still remember like that. And and, and being like, you know, my dad was 19, was born, he was 24 years old, got full custody of me in the 80s. That is unheard of. No dad got full custody in 1984 of their kid. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, when, when I got a lot, you know, a little bit older, like that really resonated with me when I started becoming like 17, 18, 19, I'm like, holy shit. Like he was 24 and doing this all by himself. That's not easy. What the hell should I complain about? Um, so I, I think just seeing other people in my life suffers a bad word, overcome, like deal with adversity, deal with the bullshit. Like, like no one in my family came from this like perfect, like life and things were easy and then you went to school and got a job and lived happily ever after and you work for an insurance company and work your nine to five like i didn't see that so to me my norm was bad shit happens you deal with it and you move on like i just didn't know another way mm. and i think that really you know between that at a young age between you know playing competitive hockey which which really shaped me a lot to dealing with all kinds of adversity. I think that was just like, eh, I get dealt with that. I can deal with this. It's so interesting because like listening to this story and listening to things, you could have so easily chosen to just play the victim and things would have turned out so much different. Like it's yeah, so I, I, interesting. 
but I guess I never saw anyone play the victim. So I don't, I didn't know what playing the victim role was. Mm. And so whether, whether, I mean, and I mean, now, granted, there's a lot of people who play the victim, and I don't know where they learned that shit from, but they they, they chose to anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm just stubborn. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm very, very stubborn, and, and there's a lot of times in my life where that stubbornness, like, it really bites me in the ass. Like, it, it's just, like, one of those, like, like, hand in your palms, like, oh, my God, I can't believe how stubborn I am. This is ridiculous. But on the flip side of that, like, there, I'd probably be dead if I wasn't stubborn. Um. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it also got me where I am now. It's, it fuels me more than anything else. And I like the stubbornness. Like, I, I like, you know, being told I can't do something, being told I'm not good enough or being told things are going to fail. And it's just like, you know, I, I've written some of our accountability emails about like the virtual slap in the face. Like I like being hit by life. I, I really do. And there's certain people who just, who do better, you know, they, they do better by, by getting, you know, their bell rung a little bit going, okay, that was nice. Okay. I got to wake up a little bit and, and, and fight a little harder. Mm-hmm. You do have a good way of giving other people a virtual slap in the face. <laughs> I know that from experience. It's not a bad thing though. It's like you have this beautiful way of being able to take chaos and clutter and helping people kind of create amazing things, which actually leads me into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is goal setting. Like I find... I would get creative squirrel brain is what I'm going to call it. And we would have a conversation. And then by the time I left the conversation, I'd be like, oh, okay. I have this like million idea things. No, I have this, this clear list of what I need to do. So I feel like, and I've seen so many people create these like fluffy goals. Like I believe that you should dream big and create big fucking targets and then go after them. But these people, they, they create these fluffy goals and then they get upset when their goals don't happen. So what would you say is the biggest mistake that people are making, especially entrepreneurs, when it comes to setting goals? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people have the capacity to really understand what they want, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Does. So like we, we've worked long enough to know like my brain works in a very unique and different way. I see things a little bit differently that I, I don't think other people have the ability to do. So I find, so for example, I've used this analogy a lot. Like a lot of people are just hunting. We'll use entrepreneurship as hunting. Like you're, you're in a forest and you want to go kill a deer or kill a, a moose. And if you're a vegetarian, I don't care. Um, you know, and so you're out hunting and you're shooting, hoping something walks by and gets hit. To me, those are fluffy goals. I'm going to shoot, 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 shoot. And then they go, oh, my God, I didn't get anything. I'm such a horrible person and poor me. And I can't eat today because I can't shoot the animal I want to eat. And then they play the victim role. And I'm like, okay, how about you learn how to hunt, find the target, get some clarity in your scope, aim at it, and then shoot. Yeah, it takes longer. Yeah, it's harder. Yes, it might. you might go days, weeks, whatever, before you see anything but it's better than just shooting randomly in the forest, hoping something walks by. And I think most people don't have the ability to really understand how to find what they want, how to be very clear at, at how to shoot it, and then know how to do it properly. Mm. I think that's why a lot of entrepreneurs fail because, again, like I'll get some hate mail for this, but I don't <laughs> believe everyone is born to be an entrepreneur and I don't believe everyone is born to be a high performer. I think everyone has the ability to be successful because successful is based on happiness and happiness is a choice. Mm-hmm. So success doesn't mean money. Success means happiness. Like, you know, I, I think my grandmother would say that she, she had a very successful life. She's never left the country. She's like, she's, she's been like out of her little bubble maybe two or three times in her life. She doesn't have a lot of money, but raised five boys and had a great life. And, and to her, that was successful. I think people can ride a cab all their life and be successful and be happy or, you know, do jobs that we might not think are high level or high performing jobs. We'd be very, very happy with their life. So I'm not trying to confuse success with mm-hmm. money or, you know, how powerful you are. But in terms of like high performers, I don't think everyone's born to be that because it just takes like you have to be slightly nuts. So I think that like 97 percent of the population is, is not crazy so they don't want to be entrepreneurs and they don't want to take the risks. They don't want to lose the relationships and lose all the sleepless nights. They, they're not nuts. 
So I think, you know, for those that do take the risk, most of them aren't successful either, right? It, it takes a very small percentage of the population to really become successful. So when it comes to setting fluffy goals, I just don't think people understand what it takes to reach the goals. So they make them fluffy because they don't know what else to do. Mm. And do you think also maybe they're making them fluffy because fluffy ones are easier to reach if they actually do get to them? I, I think we're, I, I, Sarah was just telling me like what celestial freaking astrology, like whatever <laughs> sign we're in right now, we're in this, we're in the, we are in the sign of the fluff. So I don't know, like I'm waiting for Taurus to come back around. I'm going to, I'm going to excel when, when we were, we're in line with Taurus and it's just stubbornness. Like that's, that's my year. But I think we are just like, the stars are just like, I've never seen so much fluff in my life. Like honestly, like between social media, between motivational speakers, between life coaches and this and like, I've literally have never seen more fluff in my life. And it's scary because fluff sells. Like I've even joked to Sarah, I'm like we need like just one fluff program because we will kill it with that program. Like I, I will sell my soul to the devil, but man, that thing will kill it because people love it because it makes them feel good temporarily. It's like this like dopamine hit that people get like filling themselves full of fluff. But then those same people, six months, a year, a year and a half, they're no further ahead, nowhere. And I so criticize like I know. You and I resonate with my tone. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great way to put it. <laughs> a tone with my demeanor, with the way I speak. But you haven't seen how many conversations we've had, how many clients we've lost with people that are like, you know what, Joe, you really hurt my feelings. And like, that's a trigger for me. Like, if you're a business client of mine and you call me to tell me that I've hurt your feelings, you've made the first mistake because there's no feelings in business. And if you can't take me hurting your feelings to give you the truth that you're, you're not doing the things that you need to do, you're stuck in fluff mode. So, I mean, I resonate with, I, oh, I've gotten better with attracting better clients. Better, mm -hmm. that, that, that's an inappropriate word. Clients that resonate with me better. It doesn't make them better or worse, but there are certain people that I just, like, I, I actually, I've refused to coach. Like, we've let go and I'm like, never contact me again. Don't work with me again. If you need something in the future, contact Sarah because I cannot communicate with you in the way that I feel that I should coach people. And I've had, I've had people say like, well, you should coach people differently based on how they want to be coached. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to coach you the way I want to coach because that works for me. And if it doesn't work for you, I appreciate that. Go find a fluff coach. <laughs> also, it's energy, right? Everything is energy. So we all have energy. You give off an energy. Certain other people have an energy. Like also you and I get along because I don't take things personally. Like it's not that you're trying to hurt my feelings or whatever. It's you're trying to make me fucking better. Right. <laughs> like, you know, when I was in grade four and my coach made us skate for an hour, he didn't do it to hurt our feelings. He told, he, he did to prove a point. He, he did to, to, to increase our standards. And yeah, we were all pissed and we, our feelings were all hurt. But at the end of the day, like we realized that that's what we needed. Mm -hmm. And I think some people don't really want to accept what they need. They, they, they want to accept what they hope they need or think they need. But if the advice that I give them is not matching their belief of what truly is limiting them, then there's conflict. And then yes. they, they feel like, because then they have to look in the mirror going, oh, it's just me. Oh, yes. Also, that brings me back to, you were talking about how much fluff there is in like the social media space. And it, that's interesting because there's also so much comparison. So like a lot of the people I work with, it all comes down to self-worth issues. When we are looking at social media and we're comparing and when we're buying books and when we're constantly doing courses like when you and I met I was a consumer <laughs> like I never felt like I knew enough I had to keep buying books I had to keep doing courses I needed more letters behind my name none of which I even use where <laughs> it's true though I don't put the letters behind my name did you ever have to deal with this sort of like lack of confidence thing? Like, or were you just able to always step into being an influencer? I was a cocky son of a bitch most of my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, like, um, I, I, I think I've always teetered learning how to balance between confident and cocky. And I think when you look at any high performer, look at a, look at a rock star. Mm-hmm. 
Look at any movie star. Look at any high-level performer. I don't care what you say. They have to believe that they're better than other people. That's the belief they have to give them the confidence to do what they do. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're Tony Robbins or you're uh, Jack Canfield and you're on stage and there's 30,000 people watching you, you can't sit there and go, they're all the same as me. I'm no better than them. That's <laughs> bullshit. You know you have control and you have power. You have the ability to influence these people. That puts you on a pedestal. Now, is that confident or cocky? I don't know. Mm. I think there's a fine line. When you watch a rock star, like, look at Mick Jagger on stage. You're telling me that he, is he confident or cocky? And if he shied away and just kind of hid behind his microphone and just like, just listen to my voice. I don't, I don't want to put on a show. You're like, what the fuck's wrong <laughs> with this guy? Right? So like, I think a lot of high performers, I always believe, teeter on, on that cocky, confident line. And I think once you realize that you have something to offer people, you have to be confident. You have to be a little cocky to be like, no, my information is awesome. What I have to give you is better than other people. Right? So, and, and I always find it hilarious when, when I make those comments, people are like, oh my God, being cocky is so bad. Yeah, that's the same stupid idiot on social media going, love yourself and oh, check out my, my, my progress pictures. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay for you to do, but it's not okay for me to say you should elude confidence and cockiness. And which is, like, which is weird because if you think about it, like so many people are afraid of judgment. So they're afraid of being judged on putting out information that's not fluff, but right. yet they'll put out the fluff and not feel like they're going to be judged. Because you can't judge someone anymore. Heaven forbid you tell someone their stuff is shit or it's fluffy. Now you're just a hater. And now you're like, oh my God, you're, you're a bully. I'm like, no, I'm just being like observant. I'm not a bully. Your stuff sucks or you're, you're being fluffy or... Like, I don't know when we got to a point in our life where we just can't say what's on our mind or, or call a fact a fact. And I think that's that's the hardest part is that you have these, oh man, how deep do we go? I think you have these people with such lack of confidence and lack of self-worth posting fluffy things to feed their ego and we can't say anything about it but positive things, which gives them a... a, a a false sense of confidence, but only fuels their insecurity even more. Mm. But when someone who's really confident posts stuff, it comes across as cocky and you're allowed to say it's cocky. How does that make any sense? Mm, It's so interesting to you because when I started to pivot and work more with like high performers and talk about money, some of the messages I was getting from people, they're like, oh, so you're all about the money now? Yeah, because I feel like everybody deserves to have all the money that they could ever want. Like, why is that a bad thing? When did money become such a dirty word? <laughs> like When people realize they couldn't make it, so they make other people feel dirty for having it. Money, so true. money is like money provides freedom. Anyone who says money doesn't buy happiness, fuck that. It gives me a lot of happiness because I can provide for my kids. I can go on trips. I can do all the things. I'm the exact same person I am now as I was when I had no money. So if you're an asshole without money, you're going to be a bigger asshole with money. Yes. Like I drive my pickup truck when I could be driving like a $100,000 car. I just don't give a shit, right? I, I mean, we have a beautiful home. We have all the things that we need. I don't even own a watch. I don't own fancy clothes. I wear the same five fucking things every single week because I just don't care. Those things don't matter to me. I'm not about material things. I'm about experiences. I'm about accomplishments. I'm about like hanging out with good people. That's it. And so anyone who says like, oh, money's bad. Really? Make a million dollars and start an orphanage. Oh, you horrible human being. That's such a bad thing to do. Give it away. Mm-hmm. Give it to a charity. So people, people like have this, this notion that money is so bad. Until they have something, they love it, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have it, they're like, oh, money, the money doesn't mean anything. It means everything. It means how you eat. It means paying your bills. It means you know providing for your future. It means retiring. It means going away on trips and experiences or giving it to friends and family. That's what money does. Yeah. And I think it's just it's, – it's such – it's just the year of the fluff. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, and it's funny because like – you know, the top people, the top fluffers are making more money than anyone else. And they're probably the same people going, oh, it's not about the money. And like everything is about 
the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Simple. And if it wasn't, the people without money wouldn't be complaining so much about the people with money. Oh, so true. It is so true. Oh my God. This is like just such a good conversation. Everything is coming out. I want to go back a little bit to um, the goal setting thing because there's something sure. I want to talk to you about, which is visualization. Yep. Because you played sports. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed when we talk about visualizing with an athlete, it is perfectly normal. But then when we bring this up to like an entrepreneur or a normal person or a business person, they look at you like you have three fucking heads. Why? What's the deal with that? Like, why do you think that's the case? And why is visualization so important? Let's talk about why it's important first. And I learned to start visualizing when I was in grade four. And this is before the science came out. We just knew it worked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, was a, I was a goalie when I grew up. And I mean, as a goalie, everything is reaction based. You can't think you have to react. And so we were always told like, so before the game, my dad would be driving to the game. I would sit there for like an hour with my eyes closed and picture almost any possible play that could happen, any shot from any angle and how it would make that save. And years later, they found out that if you hook up your entire body to EMGs and, and you have an athlete visualizing, let's say running, if you, if you visualize sprinting, Every muscle in the exact same order will actually contract if you're thinking about it, even if you're not doing the exercise. So what it does, it builds this muscle memory and this ability to react. And and that's why athletes do it so much that when they're in, in sport, they don't think they react. And the way you build that is through repetition. And so the more you can visualize, the more natural it becomes. Mm-hmm. And so the mind can't distinguish what it thinks about and what's actually happened. Case in point, I am terrified of heights. Like terrified of heights. If I watch a YouTube video of these like performers, people like doing crazy stuff on like skyscrapers and stuff, I literally feel like I'm falling and I'm going to die. Even though my brain, like technically, like consciously, I'm sitting on my couch. Why should I be afraid? Because my brain doesn't know the difference of whether it's real or it's not. That fear is still inside of you. And that's how powerful our brain is. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've really transferred over to business. And this is something that I've, I've talked to Sarah this, about this many times and even, like, you know, Jesse and people like that. And I don't get very excited when I hit my goals. It's very, very strange. I've always been that way. And I remember talking like, like, I mean, big, big things would happen, big accomplishments, like, you know, launching a program. We just made six figures in like a weekend. I'm like, yay. Sarah's like, what's wrong with you? I go, do you know how many times I have played this in my head over? and over and over and over again. So that when it finally happened, it it seems like a rerun because it's already happened in my brain. So one of the things that I use in business is that whatever I want has already happened. It's already happened, I just have to catch up to it. So I love using visualization to convince my brain that I've already bought in the house, I've taken the trip, I've launched that program, I've, I've, you know, the summit, I've already visualized, I don't know how many times on a daily basis, 300 people sitting in my summit and running through the entire day, all the speakers, um, all the gifts that people get, all the sponsorship that we need from the, uh, you know, people working the tables and the volunteers. I've, I've played that through my head so many times that when I get there, it shouldn't be exciting because it's already happened. It's happened over and over and over and over again. I just have to catch up to it. I think that's what targets to me, proper visualization helps you set your target which then subconsciously gives you the processes you need to do to reach them. People who set a goal with no intention, it's not clear, and they don't visualize, it's just a dream. Mm. If you set a target and you visualize that target happening every single day, your brain has no other, uh, you know, no other option than to go, hey, you know what you should do today? Contact some sponsors. You know what you should do tomorrow? Do this, do this, do this, do this, so that you can actually catch up to that target. I think that's where people don't use that visualization or that meditation or that, that, that state of where they want to be. They just write down, I want to lose 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. And they, just, they never look at it. They don't think about it. They don't think about the process. They don't think about the deadline as to when they want to achieve it by. And then they go watch Netflix and have like some chips. And like, I don't know why I didn't reach my goals. I don't understand. <laughs> it's so true though. And what people don't understand too, our subconscious mind is like a million times stronger than our conscious mind. And you, because I've watched you do this, <laughs> literally are creating on a conscious level. 
And not very many people do that. It's almost like you could create or manifest things without even really visualizing them for that long. It's very interesting to watch. And I think that's where people get lost too because you use the word like manifestation. I've been manifesting shit since I was a little kid. And then somewhere along the lines, I stopped doing it because trusted adults told me it was stupid and it wasn't actually happening. But you get these people and they're like, oh, manifestation is all woo-woo. No, it's visualization. You're literally, our subconscious mind literally needs very clear direction. And all you're doing is you're programming those coordinates into your mind and you're getting exactly what you want. Like, it's very interesting to watch you create things. But see, you, you touched upon a very key point in terms of like the the visualization in order to manifest. But on top of that, there's a lot of people who visualize. But the big key factor is they don't bust their ass. Yes. And like I, I, I will like I'm not the hardest work hardest working person I know. There's, there's I mean some of my coaches are at a high high level. I've mentioned people before like the Bill Gates and you know the Rock guys like that are at a high level. But I bust my ass every day. Like I work very hard. And and so when I do this goes back to the stubbornness. <laughs> so if I set a target and I visualize, I literally like my body cannot cope with the fact that it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. where other people are okay going maybe later oh crap it didn't happen i'm used to things failing so it's supposed to fail anyways it's 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 like find a way or make a way mm-hmm. and that's just been engraved and, and so i don't know what i can't explain it um i i hate failing i hate you know i hate not being able to achieve something i set my mind to and when i when i finally like when i when you've seen this like if I say this is what I'm going to do, I have a hard time grasping anything but. Where other people kind of go, well, what if I don't find the, the resources? Or what if this happens? Or what if that happens? So, And then it just trickles that negative mindset of, well, of course it's not going to succeed because you've already said in your mind, you visualized all the wrong things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's and like it, affirmations too. I can see your board behind you, your I am board. Like so many people, I am is the two most powerful words in the English mm-hmm. language. But so many people, they do it for like five seconds. Well, it doesn't work because right. nothing falls out of the sky onto your face. You yeah. have to take action. Oh, I love action this. is, I mean, action and deadlines to me, I don't really set goals. And we've done this in the mentorship. I believe in targets, your process, and a deadline. And I came up with a new idea for entrepreneurs and it's called the becoming a chef. And so here's the thing. If you really want to run a successful business, it's really no different than being a chef. You have a recipe, you get your ingredients and then you put the time and the effort to follow the recipe and then you get great food. Most people are running their business on microwave chicken or like TV dinners. They're like, yeah, it's food, whatever. It's kind of going okay. But if you really want to succeed and if you want like a gourmet meal, how hard is it to make a gourmet meal? Well, it depends. If you have the recipe in front of you and the procedures and you just follow step by step by step, yeah, it requires a lot of work and a lot of timing and making sure you're doing things right, but really just follow the recipe. And most businesses don't have the recipe. And that's what I love doing with people is is building their recipe. And we've done this since January of like, just do this, add a pinch of this, do this, cook this, great, let's go on to the next recipe. And to me, that's the easiest way of running a really good business is just have a really good recipe for success. Mm, So true. And so interesting to look back on like our journey together and go, yeah, that is kind of what we've been doing. And you saying, okay, you just need to be patient. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, again, going back to that analogy, like, okay, I've I've put all this stuff, all this work together. Now I got to put it in the oven and wait for 40 minutes. I I want it now. I'm like, no, just put it in the oven and wait for 40 minutes. Well, in business, that could be 40 days. You know, that could be four years. That could be 10 years. Um, and I, I think people just aren't patient enough to wait for things to rise or things to grow. Like anything else in society takes forever. You want to be a farmer, like it takes more than a day to plant food and get the food. Yet us, we're like, I did a post yesterday. I don't know why people aren't like filling up my courses or contacting me. I'm like, because you're not patient and you're not consistent. Or your stuff sucks. I don't know. One of those. (laughs) Oh, so funny because I just used that analogy the other day with one of my clients. I was like, okay, so you're trying to visualize and you're trying to do these things. If you were to plant a seed, would you go every day and dig the fucking seed up and look at it and then put it back in the ground? No. (laughs) You have to be aware of the seed and you have to water the seed and you have to take care of the seed. But stop pulling the seed back up. Like, stop doing that. One thing I want to talk about that we, we 
going back to the whole visualization, because I think one of your questions, which I didn't answer, and I apologize because we went off on a tangent, was <laughs> why do people not do it? And I think the reason is because they don't believe and they don't understand it. And this is what frustrates me. I don't understand how we're doing this right now. I can see your face in your home because of a little, little tiny camera the size of my pen. And in real time, we're having a communication through this little, little wire that's stuck in my head that has a microphone in it. And I can hear you and you can hear me. Can either one of us explain how that works? So true. No. <laughs> but we don't care. We just enjoy the benefits. I can't explain Wi-Fi. Like yesterday, we watched a movie. I logged in on my phone to you. I, I got the YouTube premium. So I logged on to YouTube on my phone, searched for a movie, paid for it with scanning my finger on my phone. <laughs> I scanned my finger on my phone, made a payment through the air, went onto my TV, onto YouTube, and the movie was there waiting for me. And I was like, anyone else? Like, is this not the most ridiculous thing in the world right now? If you went back in time like 100 years and showed someone this technology, they're like, you are from outer space, dude. <laughs> like, but but we just accept the fact that it works so we don't question it. Oh, God, that's so, it's so true because people get so hung up on the how, how things are going to happen. That is like such a great analogy. Like how does, nobody worries about how this technology works. We just trust that it works. Exactly. And, and you know, but, but because we can see it, mm -hmm. right? We can see it and we can enjoy it right away. Like, I, I mean, I enjoy Spotify. Like it's the best thing that ever happened in my life because I love music. I don't know where it comes from. And if Spotify just stopped working tomorrow, I have no music. I don't have cassettes or CDs or albums anymore. I'm like, where does it go? Like, I don't know where it's stored. Like, it just it blows my mind to think about it. I'm like, I don't want to think about it. I just enjoy it. I pay my $9.99 a month, and I'm like, cool. It just it, it comes to me. But, I mean, there's so much in life that we can't explain, but we enjoy the benefits of it, so we just go with it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to something like success and mindset and, and, you know, visualization, and people don't see the results right away, so they question it. And yet the people who, who do really understand it don't care why. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like meditation has been around for thousands of years. You think the monks waited for the research to come out before they continued doing it? They're like, <laughs> no, we just know it works. So you continue wasting thousands of years trying to figure it out. We'll just enjoy the benefits of it. Oh, my God. So true. I want to be mindful of your time, but I have a couple questions that I sure. have to ask you because I'm I just love your energy, obviously. What are some of the things that you are like super excited about right now with life, with business? You've got some pretty cool shit coming up. So, oh, us. wow. <laughs> this is where I'm going to border like cocky and confident. <laughs> there's, no, there's no better way of saying this. Like, I honestly just love my life. <laughs> like, uh, it's just like there's, there's not a single aspect of my life that feels hard. You know, I love the business that I do, I love helping the amount of people that I help. Me and Sarah have. Uh, a mastermind coming out in 2019. We have a summit that we're launching, the first ever business-only summit in Canada because I want to be the first to do something. Uh, we have three mentorships going on. We have a shitload of travel. We're going to like Vermont with the kids. We're going to Greece next year. Like we just literally do what we want, when we want, how we want it. And I bust my ass really, really hard to be able to enjoy that. Um, you know, Sarah and I just got engaged. I don't think we're gonna get married in 2019, maybe 2020, because there's just too much to do in 2019. <laughs> but um, like, I'm just looking forward to unfolding more. Just, just continue to unfold all the things that I want to unfold, so that in 2020 I can have the other things that I want. In 2021, the things that I've seen, I get those as well. Um, I'm just looking forward to creating, creating and putting stuff out there, and growing our business and our reputation, our brand and our name. Um, and just helping as many people as possible. Mm, I love that. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> so last question for you, and this is something I'm going to be asking everybody that I talk to. What does living a limitless life mean to you? Doing what I want, when I want, with whoever the hell I want. That's, to me, that's limitless. And mm. um, again, going back, like last, last Tuesday, um, Sarah and I rented a, a yacht for, for Jesse and his, and his wife. We were in Jamaica for a wedding. And it was the coolest feeling because, like, you know, even the parents there was like, oh, my God, like, you did what? Um, like, yeah. Yeah, we did. And we, we, we didn't, like, flinch about it. We didn't think about it. It was just a cool feeling to do something, like, random and cool and be able to, to, to know that you can with good people 
on a random Tuesday in November. We get to vacation when we want and, and, and do what we want when we want to do it. And I want to continue doing more things and bigger things with bigger people year after year. Mm, I love that. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having this conversation with me. There's so much good information in this, like so much. So I hope that when people are, were listening to this, they had a pen because honestly, so much good information. Where can people find you? Where's the best place? Easiest. Uh, my central hub is just my website. So joearco.com. Uh, it's kind of like the hub for everything I do. So everything from you know our summits to coaching to certifications and stuff like that is, is all on the website. That's the easiest place to find me. Okay, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. Thank you so much again. This was like such a good conversation. I'm just, I have the hugest smile on my face right now. This has been awesome. Thank, so thank you very you. much. Thank you so much for joining me today. You have no idea how much I love and appreciate you for taking time to listen because shows like this are not possible without people like you. You can find me over on Instagram at underscore Brenda Johnson. Tag me to post and let me know what your favorite episode has been. And if there's something that you want to hear, let me know. Shoot me a DM and I'm always going to get back to you. I want this podcast to help as many people as possible. So please take a moment if you can to leave me an honest comment and review so I know what you think of the show. And if you could, help me spread the love by hitting that share button.